I think that hypocrisy is just an inescapable part of being human. Henry David Thoreau is famous for his romantic philosophy of isolationism, self-sufficiency, and a respect for nature. But this environmentalist also accidentally burned down a large portion of the woods near Concord, Massachusetts, when he didn't completely put out a campfire. And though he was a proponent of self-sufficiency, while living on Walden Pond, he took his laundry home for his mother to do. <laughs> the great 18th century thinker Jean-Jacques Rousseau is well known for a book called A Meal or On Education. And the book contains, among other topics, parenting advice. He and his longtime partner Therese had five children and handed them all over to orphanages. Of course, there are the scandals that seem to surround many contemporary religious figures unable to live up to the very lifestyles they outwardly embrace, with marital infidelity, addiction to pornography, and monetary improprieties usually ending in their fall from favor. This isn't a new problem in the religious life. After all, 1,600 years ago, it was Augustine who prayed, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> and then there are the religious progressives who preach the importance of embracing diversity. And yet they themselves, or we ourselves, shun the very people that they deem intolerant. Hypocrisy seems to be ubiquitous. Shine a strong enough light on any of us and we too will wear the label hypocrite. We are all walking masses of contradiction. And this is what struck me as I read today's passage from 1 Kings. The temple in Jerusalem has just been built and the Ark of the Covenant is brought up from the tent that has been its dwelling place up until now. A cloud fills the temple with the Lord's presence and then Solomon steps up in front of the altar to say a prayer of dedication. Solomon, who is full of contradictions, shortcomings, and hypocrisy. After all, Solomon is known for his wisdom, and yet he unwisely laid on the people a heavy burden in the form of taxes and forced labor so that the temple could be built. It was a move that ultimately caused the northern tribes of Israel to break away from the southern tribes. Initially, Solomon seemed merciful to his brother Adonijah, who was almost made king in his place. But later he had Adonijah killed, along with a whole slew of men who threatened his reign. In the prayer from today's reading, Solomon reminds God of the covenant between God and the lineage of David. But later it will be Solomon who breaks the covenant by marrying foreign wives and worshiping their gods. This is the Solomon who prays on behalf of all of Israel. We have a condensed version of Solomon's prayer in our lectionary with 11 verses cut out of the very middle of the prayer. The entire prayer is actually much longer. It is full of pleas that God hear, forgive, and answer the people of Israel when they pray in the temple or in its direction. Now the fact that it is Solomon who boldly offers this prayer gives me great hope because I, too, am full of contradictions when I pray. Let's face it, we probably all are. We are all complex creatures, part of us fearful and part excited, part anxious and part calm, part sad and part joyful, 
part vengeful and part merciful. We have parts that are angry, compassionate, envious, or loving. And we bring all these parts of ourselves to our prayers. We may vocalize our prayer from one part of ourselves, but God hears the prayers that arise from every part of us. Someone once wrote, God hears all the voices that speak out of us. Our vocal prayer, the prayer said in our minds, the unvoiced longing rising out of our hearts, the many voices of which we are not even conscious but which cry out eloquently. God accepts all the prayers that arise from us, even the ones that we don't even know that we're praying. And that's a good thing. Because if we waited until we were pure in our motives or singular in our intentions or knew for certain what to ask for, then we would never pray. I remind myself constantly of something Richard Foster wrote in his book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. He wrote, The truth of the matter is, we all come to prayer with a tangled mass of motives, altruistic and selfish, merciful and hateful, loving and bitter, But what I've come to see is that God is big enough to receive us with all our mixture. We do not have to be bright or pure or filled with faith or anything. That is what grace means. And not only are we saved by grace, we live by it as well. And we pray by it. We don't have to wait until we are devoid of hypocrisy, contradiction, or tangled mass of motives to pray. Because we come to prayer trusting in the goodness of God to meet us each and every time. See, we may be complex creatures made up of many parts and many motives, but God is simple. Not simple meaning that we can understand or wrap our minds around who God is. We can never do that because God is infinite. What I mean when I say God is simple is that God is not made up of contradictory personalities. God is the same through and through. God is constant in love, constant in mercy, constant in truth. When we approach our teenage son or daughter, we may not know in that moment if we will encounter the child who needs our help or the adult who wants to do things by themselves. But when we approach God, we expect God to be the same today as yesterday and the same tomorrow as today. We come to prayer expecting the God we meet to be the same God who made this world and pronounced it good. The same God who created a people to bring love and light to the world. The same God who loved these people even when their motives became mixed and they lost their way. The same God who could take the painful experiences of slavery in Egypt and exile in Babylon and even death on a cross and then weave them all into a larger, beautiful story of redemption and grace where everything belonged. It is to a God such as this that we offer all the contradictions, hypocrisy, and complexities of our lives. Who else could we trust? Peter, the disciple who denied Jesus and the one on whom the church is built, knew firsthand the contradictions within himself. He puts it plainly in our gospel. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, only you can make us whole. And that's why along with Peter, Solomon, and all the beloved hypocrites of God since the creation of the world, 
We too take our place before the altar of God and present our messy, contradiction-filled lives. All the many prayers that arise from us, all of our mixed motives, even the places in us which we are completely unaware of. And we trust God to weave the disparate parts into a single narrative, beautiful in its own way, into a story of life and love. We trust in the faithful simplicity of God to heal our contradictions. To whom else can we go?